fingerprints of bots in the building. Dwayne, the one and only, you already know. Welcome to yet another episode of the Life's a Botch podcast. Yes, I know you've missed me, Marks. I have missed you too, baby. It is so great to be back in the building. And you know what? It's, it's only, it's been so much going on in wrestling, man, that you know, I, I gotta, I gotta, I can't just talk about it by myself. I got to bring y'all guests. And and you know what? Today is a first time guest. But how are we gonna introduce this lady? I'm gonna show you how we gonna do it. This is how we gonna do it right here. We gonna do this in a real special style because I did a lot of following up on this young lady and I know what she's got going on. So here's how we gonna do this, ladies and gentlemen. First and foremost, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, coming to you live from the West Coast, she is the voice with the most. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about none other than the queen of strong Nope, sorry. The queen of soft style, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, she is so the queen soft. of soft style. And yo, you might know her from so much of chairshot.com. You may know her from quite a bit, actually, ladies and gentlemen. You also can even see her in a lot of different underground wrestling shows. You may have seen her in some of your local shows. There's a lot of things you can catch this lady on, but I I'm actually bringing her for the first time on this very show, so you'll get to know her a lot more on today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about none other than Miss Miranda Morales. Yay! I am so excited to be here. That is an amazing, amazing, amazing introduction. That has, now the game has been uh has the gauntlet has been put forth the game has been changed the level has now risen of introductions for that so yes. not even in the first few minutes here my mind is blown you see you see this this is one of the things that makes your boy stand out on this show anytime we bring guests right here on this show best believe they're gonna get the most epic intro that i could possibly give them why because, baby, that's just what I'm known to do, man. I'm going to try to get the energy set for everybody on the show, man. Have them feeling welcome. Kick your shoes off, relax your feet. And let's just talk some cool wrestling. You know what I mean? Let's Absolutely. Fun, you know? Yeah. Now, of course, before we get into any wrestling, we got to talk to you. How has your week been? I mean, I know this has been, like, crazy, crazy. I mean, we didn't yes. have a... We didn't had a versus battle for my New York folks out there in the city. You know what I mean? We didn't had a wonderful week in wrestling. I mean, it's just, it's just been a wonderful yeah. week in general. I mean, how have you been this week? Oh man, I, I've been doing really well and you're absolutely right. It's a very exciting time, both mm -hmm. on the independent scene, you mm -hmm. know, wrestling is coming back on the local level, um, mm -hmm. you know, out here on the West Coast, it was kind of very hit or miss, you know, some states like Arizona, where I'm at, had been open for quite some time, um, but now we're starting to see more of uh, wrestling come out here and, and be active, and that then also comes into to play for nearby places like California and Nevada, um, Oregon and Washington are ramping up again, you know, so seeing West Coast wrestling thrive is, uh, makes my heart 
heart sing. I love it. It does also keep me quite busy uh, on my weekends uh, for announcing and interviewing, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And then on top of that, on the week to week basis with what's happening out on the professional world, um, it keeps it very interesting for podcasting topics. Um, it is a, a time where anything can happen and there's always a new story, a new, you know, interesting tidbit uh, every week. So when it comes to podcasting, as you definitely know, yeah. it keeps the content rolling. And if anything, it makes it hard to narrow down what you want to talk about or, or what you want to focus on. Um, because I think that that's a challenge I have. There's so much going on is what, what do you talk about? What do you focus on while also making it, you know, you putting your spin on it, which I, you know, I think that's a, um, thing in podcasting, I think a lot of people take as an underrated, you know, a form of preparation, you know, and, and of podcasting is there's lots of podcasts. What do you do to make yours, you know, unique and you and special? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that adds to, you know, when you're preparing and picking your topics, you know, what's important to you as a wrestling fan and how do you convey that to listeners? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I totally agree. Um it definitely takes a lot. Uh, and I mean, props to the ones out there who do it on their own, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, this is definitely, I know, a show that I don't have a co-host with. So every time I bring a guest on, it's kind of like they're my temporary co-host. Yeah, like, I know. I, have to, I, I know, can't do it for myself. I legit cannot. <laughs> do it. I always have to have, a you know, someone else. Because, I, you yeah. know, it's it's more engaging with conversation, different perspectives, yes. topics, you know, like. And I think at the end of the day, that's one of the best things about, you know, being a pro wrestling fan is that there's so many perspectives and backgrounds and you know fandoms to have a conversation and to feel connected with someone that likes you know the same thing you do it feels rare still as a pro wrestling fan even though there's fans all over you know it still also feels like you're in your own little world oh yes absolutely so let's let's get into the basics you know now that we we got the introductions out of the way and all that good stuff and we've been talking about wrestling before we get into what's cool about it we want to get to know miss morales as the individual so let's let's just start with the basic typical wrestling intros as we ask Uh, this is this is my segment ladies and gentlemen that i like to call putting me over you know what i mean this is where we put over (laughs) Yes, you know what I mean? We're putting over the guests yes. and we 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 gonna get a guest they flowers and they props straight up top. You know what I mean? So straight coming off the top rope right now, ladies and gentlemen. I want to ask you, who is Miranda Morales? What brought you into the wrestling world? Who are you? Well, me and myself, Miranda Morales, I am a wrestling ring announcer, interviewer, and podcaster. And those have all come in different stages of life. They all didn't happen at once. They all have come in tears. Um, I guess the first one labeled, though, that I have is fan. I grew up watching wrestling as a kid in the late 90s and early 2000s. I witnessed the Monday Night Wars as a, as, you know, a 10-year-old kid, and it just blew my mind. It was the most exciting time of wrestling for 
me. And I loved the characters. I love, you know, the animosity uh, between rivals. Uh, I love the difference in programming. I love storylines. That is where my heart sings in wrestling. I'm not much a technician in wrestling moveset and styles, but I love stories. I love characters. Mm -hmm. And so that is what drew me to wrestling. And then I was a fan in and out for my teens and young adulthood. You know, I, I came back, um, you know, shortly after Eddie Guerrero passed away and was very drawn to that storyline between uh, uh, Rey Mysterio and Randy Orton. Uh, I came back for a, a little bit uh, with WrestleMania 26, uh, you know, when that came out here to the West Coast. I've, so I've been in and out of, you know, wrestling as a fan, but it wasn't until probably the past five years that I've been more ingrained in wrestling regularly um and then as far as when that transition happened from fan to backstage interviewer was my very first role in the independent scene and i was living in albuquerque new mexico at the time and worked with a promotion called destiny wrestling organization and i met them at the uh albuquerque comic-con that was happening back in late I want to say maybe super early 2017 and they had a table there and at that point I had gone to one of their shows previously but didn't really know anything about independent wrestling. I really only knew the big WWE and WCW CW, um, and I, I really didn't know much about independent wrestling. So Destiny Wrestling Organization is to blame for my independent wrestling fandom for bringing me into the fold. Uh, I came on almost just like an, as an intern, starting you know uh, at you know in in just kind of whatever roles they needed. Uh, but I was a backstage interviewer for them, and then a few months into that, slowly transitioned into ring announcing, um, and. I just fell in love with all of the production roles, you know, filming and editing um, and watching people edit and, and watching, um, you know, the development of promos and backstage vignettes, you know, it's, to me that also spoke to my love of character development and storyline, seeing how those things are built in wrestling um, from the production standpoint. And then um, from there, I, I came out here to Arizona and started working with more promotions. And then when the pandemic hit last year, I then took another role, another step in my career as a podcaster. I had actually been podcasting towards uh, maybe about the end, somewhere around 2019, 2018, so slowly, actually end of 2018, all of 2019, and then 2020 hit and more podcasting opportunities came up. I started with the chairshot.com, which is ran by my you know, dear friend, I call him the kingpin of the chairshot.com, Greg DeMarco. He's the one who first gave me the opportunity to podcast with him and eventually do my own show. Mm -hmm. And then opportunities started to come up with a big gold belt media with Najir Chambers. We were both avid Impact Wrestling fans. And so started to work together on doing an Impact review. And then LuchaCentral.com revamped last year, and they have been a website dedicated to Lucha Libre for quite some time, but they launched their podcast network last year. And so I was uh, brought on to co-host one of their weekly shows, the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast, and that was like brand new territory for me. I knew of Lucha Libre. I had heard of Lucha Libre. I knew of some luchadors as far as the big names, mm -hmm. but that definitely tested, you know, my learning curve of a whole new style of 
pro wrestling. Um, And that was, you know, a a big challenge. And it's still something that I'm learning a lot about because it's, you know, it's deeply rooted in culture and in family. Uh, Of course, it's, you know, primarily dominant in Mexico and other places in Latin America. What we try and do on the Lucha Central Weekly podcast is bring it to a wider audience, a U.S. audience, and really highlight, you know, all all promotions have a sprinkle of Lucha Libre in it, some more than others, but being able to showcase that talent, talk about that talent, and even, you know, for some people, they get surprised about the Lucha Libre background of some wrestlers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even more recently, I know everyone is celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month and uh, NXT Frankie Monet, who formerly was well by Ty Valkyrie, spent seven years in Mexico, has a lot of Lucha Libre training. And for those who are just familiar with her now, have no idea, but she has an extensive background. And so those little things are things that I really love to bring to the forefront and share and, you know, celebrate with fans as well as even the deep lineage of Lucha Libre. But yes, that's, I mean, all these different roles have just kind of come about and it's always been an evolution, but man, yeah. So constantly, as I talked about, like the weekends are full of announcing and the Mm -hmm. weekdays are full of podcasting, but you know, I, love I, it. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Have it any other way because, uh, you know, that was so amazing because as you mentioned, as a fan, that's the beautiful part about what you do when you when you grow into certain things because I can relate to that. Uh, that's mm-hmm. definitely been me all the way as well. Starting out as a fan, going and getting inspired to get into this podcasting world yeah. uh, because of some of the ones that I followed and listened to and, and really enjoyed and saying, you know what? yeah, let me get into this thing, you know, and finding ways to make the show unique to where it's different from what everybody else is doing, but still one of those where it's like people out there can listen and enjoy exactly the way we enjoy, you know, and that is, that is a very awesome thing. Uh, Shout out to Frankie Monet for sure. As you mentioned, she's got an NXT championship match in the future coming up her way. So, uh, you know, shout out to Miss Frankie Monet for putting in that work always on the lucha libre so i'm glad you brought that up because lucha libre talk you know i know you said you were still learning a lot about that style but i'm so glad mm-hmm. you brought that up because to the this show is also an educational show to, to some of my casual Good. fans out yeah. there or you Good know to teach the audience yeah, you know, about pro wrestling exactly you know there's a lot of fans out there that's that's what really made me really inspired to do this show even more it wasn't just off my own personal fandom but it was also to school and educate a lot of people that i know who may not understand or get why I like wrestling as much as I do. Why I love it as much as I do. So I'm here to bring them into our world a little bit and educate them on some things. So talk about Lucha Libre for a second and how it differentiates from the American style of wrestling. Because a lot of times people see, you know, you got the South, the deep South wrestling, you know, where people see the showmanship, they see, you know, the rock star like look and, they see people, you know, at least back in the day, you know, not so much today, but back in the day, you know, mm-hmm. they see the nice uh, beefed up guys coming out, you know, and giving you a showsmanship kind of thing where you're like, okay, this is clearly over the top. This is clearly, mm-hmm. you know, what is it about this that you like so much with these characters, if you will, but yeah. they don't understand that there's different styles and different cultures to this, to where, in America, where some Americans may not necessarily get it, there are a lot who are fans that do, but to mm-hmm. the ones that 
don't get it and don't understand that certain cultures, certain countries, uh, such as a Japan, a Mexico, uh, a UK, you know, there's Mm -hmm. certain countries that have their own style of wrestling and actually embrace the culture of wrestling a lot differently than how some of us in the United States do. So let's talk about Lucha Libre. Let's, let's put Lucha Libre over for a second and tell the people what it is about Lucha Libre that should really make them want to tune in more into it. Yeah. Uh, So Lucha Libre, as you mentioned, is part of like a wider worldwide phenomenon of pro wrestling. You know, wrestling in the U.S. is different than what it is in Japan, than what it is in the U.K., than what it is in Mexico. And Lucha Libre has a lot of the same basics and foundations uh, as we see in wrestling in the United States. But there's definitely some differences, some tweaks and differences in match presentation the actual, uh, you know, wrestling itself, uh, and and much, much more. But um, in Lucha Libre, there's a bigger focus on the styles of a bit more fast paced and high flying with some Mm -hmm. luchadors. Mm -hmm. But and I think that's what a lot of people remember it by. But there's also a a deeper sense of kind of brutality and hardcore. There's actually a really big, um, what what I call more of a brawler style within Lucha Libre as well. And there's also now kind of a growing uh, more like hardcore aspect to it. Um, And we've seen that with like GCW going down to Mexico doing more hardcore matches um they're a big fan of what we call the cookie sheets uh that is that is you know something that can definitely be um utilized um in lucha libre matches but yes yeah, so i would say that the style is is fairly different with the performers and then also their styles um a little bit louder and brighter and of course you know, one of the more famous aspects is the masks um those are things that you know, protect the identity of the wrestlers. And some of them have long family lineage of their masks that is, you know, part of a a family name, or they were maybe the son or a nephew uh, of a luchador then and who wore a mask, you know, that comes through with the, the newer generation. Yeah. Um, so colors and mass designs are not just something for show, but they're actually a, a deeper tie into the family and culture of that Lucha Libre family. Um, you still have the face and heel aspects in Lucha Libre. You call them technicals. Uh, technical is the, you know, the good guy and Rulo is the bad guy. So you still have those, um, but that is very apparent in your factions. They even have technical and Rulo referees. So Tirantes and Tirantes Jr. are actually some of the most famous like heel referees that are very adamantly heel and you know they're going to get involved in matches, but they still will, you know, do their job and um, count the three on a good guy. Um, So I think that that's also a very unique thing with the referees also having their own style and personality. Um, you know, some promotions there have different rules. CMLL is famous for having a three fall system. Um, whereas as you did the introduction here in the United States, we're very much used to a one fall in CMLL and some other promotions, they will typically do three falls for many matches. And so that 
lengthens the match and it builds up that anticipation for the third fall. A big emphasis on trios wrestling, um, which we've seen kind of trickle into the United States. It kind of seems to have gone fallen back a bit, but there was a big trend about two or three years ago where we had a huge surge in trios wrestling. And a lot of that really was developed in Mexico in the 70s and 80s. Um, And trios titles has been very familiar in there as well. Um, That also, in trios title, something that was very unique was the fact that women also competed a lot more often with men um, in Mexico. And so they were a part of intergender wrestling um, or trios matches where you had maybe two men and one woman on one team and maybe three men on another. And I think that was because the women there are trained just as much and just as tough as the men. Um, So I think those nuances, depending on if you like that or not make lucha libre very interesting but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's you know the high flying stunts and the high flying technical capabilities Mm -hmm. of some of the luchadors is amazing the characters are a little silly and over the top (laughs) but they're amazing and then you have some pretty big tough guys some big brawlers um, that you know can go with just about anybody in the entire world Mm -hmm. Um, the And also within that culture, it is very much viewed as a sport. It is reported as a sport. Um, It is viewed as, you know, uh, just a way of life. But another interesting thing about that, too, is because it's taken so seriously, you have a lot more crossover with luchadors in, say, the quote unquote real world. So it started a lot with like, you know, say, Blue Demon and El Santo, where they were in movies back in the 70s. And they were more of the campy movies, but they they, they were some of the first crossover wrestling stars before The Rock, before Cena, before Hogan, who had El Santo. Um, And that also incorporated into real life where you see them running for political office, for mayorships and different types of roles where they own businesses and they're in the public eye with that luchador max. So their identity with the mask on is truly what they use all the time. There is no fave. There is no, you know, breaking down the reality of it. It is, that is it all the time. So um, that's been a lot of what I've been learning about Lucha Libre. I know that's kind of an old, you know, all over explanation, but I think that's because there's a lot of prongs in Lucha Libre that make it similar, but also very different uh, than what we have here in the United States. Oh no. Yeah. That was amazing. Amazingly laid out. And I just want to thank you for definitely giving as much of that history as you could, because again, this is definitely for the casual fan. Now for me also, uh, I have Lucha Libre, uh, the Lucha Libre style honestly was always one of my favorites growing up for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, spoiler, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, clearly one of the greatest luchadors of all time and Rey Mysterio, uh, yes. every childhood's favorite, right? Uh, you know, a man who's still going very strong to this day. But, you know, mm-hmm. for me, watching Rey Mysterio was like probably my first introduction of like seeing guys like him, Psychosis, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, La Parca, you know, yeah. um, like just all of these different, like, I always thought the mass wrestlers were so cool. Like, um, you know, and I, um, you know, and (laughs) I don't know, I just had a thing for them. And and I like how it was meant for them to kind of give off that superhero vibe. Like you always wondered, like, 
what do they look like under that mask? I don't mm-hmm. know, but I like well, it. Yeah, you know? and their agility, their speed, the way, yes. I mean, yeah, they did as much as you could look at any wrestler and feel the sense of, you know, they are a superhero. Yes. I think with luchadors, there was a lot more of that tie because of the mask, because you yeah. didn't know who they were. And that's a yes. huge element for many superheroes heroes is you don't know who they are and they have that wall protecting them uh from you know the rest of the world and the way that they move you're absolutely right like definitely flashbacks to the wcw cruiserweight division you know i think for a lot of people that was their introduction many u.s fans their introduction to luchadors or maybe Mm -hmm. it was you know uh in the 90s with ecw you know that too that was something very undervalued that ecw brought to the table was yes. bringing in luchadors um, that eventually WCW stole, anyways. But yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, but at the same time, it was it was that trickle effect. You know, if we yeah. didn't have ECW bring them in, WCW wouldn't have have brought them on board and had that cruiserweight division, which where what a lot of people that was that first exposure for them mm-hmm. for lucha libre and even you know wrestling in in general. So I mean, I think there's always a cause and effect. And always kind of looking back at that history is very fascinating. Being on the other side of that, many, many years, uh, you know, from it and seeing how, you know, it's impacted companies Mm -hmm. now like, you know, AEW, um, who definitely draw influence from that. Yes. Uh, And and it really shows um, because you mentioned the trios uh, division. and, And, you know, I remember my first introduction to that was through another promotion that was around at the time um, that, you know, had a nice rise for, for its, its uh, era and its time that was out in Lucha Underground. Yes. Uh, Lucha Underground introduced me because I remember hearing the rave about it and I remember catching on to it and, and really watching Lucha Underground and just always having to catch every episode when they dropped a new season. And I remember it was through them I got introduced to what a trio's title was. And as you mentioned, just being able to see the unique factor and how it, it put three men and stables on the map, but also, like you said, the women were mixed in in this too. So as you mentioned, I, I kind of always thought that was an interesting aspect of, oh, well, this side has two men and a woman and this side has three men or it's complete even playing field, you know? Yes, exactly, yeah two women and two men you got one woman and two men you know uh on both sides or maybe this side has all women and this side has all men like it's just it's crazy you know where a trios type of thing could just be anything and i like to see the fact that it's actually making its way into wrestling um rumors about it possibly making its way into AEW soon we're hoping yeah that that's definitely been a lingering rumor for quite some time and I could see it you know I mean they have the talent for it and they've been building I mean AEW is they've been focusing a lot on uh you know trios and uh you know factions and groups like everyone belongs to some so you would be thinking you know what what does that structure mean in the big picture Mm -hmm. Um, but but going back to what you're saying about lucha underground i mean that 
that really was a lucha libre renaissance in the United States. It really, I think between the cruiserweight division and Mm -hmm. then the next thing was really lucha underground because it was cinematically beautiful. It was a TV show and a movie Mm -hmm. and, and a wrestling show all in one. The talent that you got to see on there that really hided or highlighted, you know, luchadors from Mexico, but also from the past, from the future. Mm-hmm. And it tied in, it just did a great job of braiding everything in where, you know, it played on the fact that, yeah, this is, this is predetermined. This is, yes. you know, uh, you know, a story, but they leaned on that. Um, yes. And also leaned a little bit into that whole telenovela side of Latin culture where you have these stories and they're kind of ridiculous and outrageous and you know it but you still watch it and I think even a casual fan who would say why are you watching that that's that's not real would Mm -hmm. look at lucha underground and say this isn't real but this is fascinating this is good this is this gets my interest and um you know I think that that made lucha just you know very cool because it was darker and deeper and you know just kind of off the wall but you see a who's who from lucha underground now in AEW, in wwe and even you know all over um in mlw you know um a uh, impact you know i mean they mm-hmm. they've all had you know their different roads to cross but yes. a lot of that was just because of the fact that that show was so good and it was such a very it was just a different presentation of wrestling period it was it, it totally was and um I'm, I'm glad you know speaking of impact that was another one i wanted to touch on with you because uh much like you guys i am also a very big impact fan um been an impact fan really since it's tna days uh yeah. you know way back in the day um and I, for one, uh, I'm proud of Impact for what they continually do and what they've Mm -hmm. done um, to stay around and how they've, like, managed to rebrand themselves very low-key in a way uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people, while they probably slept on them after, you know, being so big at one point where it almost rivaled WWE to where it kind of had its decline and people thought it was going to hit a level where it was just going to go out of business with all those rumors of, you know, Mm -hmm. bankrupt or not being able to pay their talents. And then next thing you know, all different ownerships aside, they've quietly just still been around rebranded and and to this day have shown you that it's, it's a platform still for indie talent to come showcase themselves. Uh, We've seen recently that, with all of the releases from WWE within this year and mid last year of the pandemic, we've seen talent now just spread across from promotion to pro- promotion, you know, where mm-hmm. impact has managed to get, um, you know, a bunch of different guys like a Matt Cardona or, you know, uh, guys like that, you know, um, a big cast XL, you know, mm-hmm. um, just a bunch of different people who have come through and, had a chance to replatform themselves on this platform. Um, what brought you into the world of impact wrestling? Like, how'd you get introduced to impact wrestling? Yeah, um, I would say that I've also been kind of in and out uh, of impact for a few years. I remember watching it when they were on Spike um, mm-hmm. TV. And so once they left, it was hard to kind of keep track of them because they jumped around to from, you know, lots of different uh 
television networks. Mm -hmm. And I think that too was a, a challenge of, you know, not having a stable, uh, you know, way of being able to view it on television and then they you know moved over to twitch and that slowly became a good anchor for them yeah. um so i'd say been in and out but i've really been more invested in impact over the about about the past two years yeah. um and this was leading up to the uh 2020 uh hard to kill show um mm -hmm. uh, that they had in dallas at the beginning of last year Mm -hmm. And uh, that was my very first live impact event, actually. And so in uh, being able to be there and seeing the, the matches and the talent at that point of time was fascinating. But I think that, you know, it, it was challenging to stay on board with impact because of all the changes. Um, but what I did end up appreciating is that they really did have a true passion for wrestling. Yes. And they could do silly stuff, which at the end of the day, I love silly stuff. I love like Russell House was like one of my favorite things yes. from last year. It was silly and kind of dumb, <laughs> but like I, I also love that. So I feel like Impact in and of itself now, especially owns to the fact that it's a little meta. Like they yeah. own the fact that, yeah, we can be silly and mm -hmm. we could be dumb. And we're also making fun of the wrestling business. And, but we can also have some of the best wrestling talent in the world. You, we can also have some of the best wrestling matches out there. We yes. could also have a very strong knockouts women's division, yes. you know, and you could do both, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, again, I feel like sometimes they can lean on one more over mm -hmm. the other. And some shows, there are a lot more wrestling driven, which is good, but, you know, maybe not as exciting and entertaining to watch on a storyline side. Other times they'll really rely on story and vignettes and that's great, but then you want to see some wrestling because you know the talent they have is good. So um, I, I would really say a lot of things leading up to uh, hard to kill and and really at that time too that program not rivalry between tessa blanchard and sammy callahan yes. was fascinating to me yes. you know regardless of what you want to say or think about the whole scenario it was really mm. revolutionary and groundbreaking at that time to have a woman compete for a world championship yes. and when she won i mean it was a an electric feeling in that uh, arena that night and it was a big stride for impact which one thing they have done yes. for many many years is present women's wrestling in a different format of course with the knockouts division but they were the first to have an all-women's pay-per-view they yeah. had you know one of the first to do women's cage matches mm -hmm. and you know stipulation matches and then to to have you know tessa win that championship leaning into the fact that they really showcase women in a light where they can compete with the men and they can yes. have the same opportunities. You know, Deanna Prasso right now is their biggest star, really. I mean, yes. top three biggest stars in the entire company. Shining. One wrestler of the year for 2020. Yes. You know, so I, I do feel like they, that's something very unique. And I feel yes. like in wrestling, I can appreciate any company that comes in with a unique spin or just kind of a unique um, philosophy to pro wrestling. Yes. Um, and, and MLW does it a little different where they're much more of that hybrid, like multiple fighting styles in one mm -hmm. company. You know, mm -hmm. That's something very unique that I can appreciate. Yes. You know, so those, I, I, I try and find the best out of, of promotions because I'm, I don't, tend to bash any of them there's things of course i don't like about promotions and what they do mm -hmm. you know but i think at the end of the day i'm always trying to pull the good out of it and i think uh, for impact those were the things that really drew me to being a regular fan 
Yes. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree. Um, you know, with all these promotions, it's tough to, you know, for one, as, as fans, it's tough for us to keep up with all of them. Yes. So much wrestling. So hard. Like, so much content. Man, how can I get week. it? Right. You're like, how can I get invested when I want, you know, like, uh, because uh, NWA, uh, for example, yes. with its retro 80s feel to yes. it, right? And how you, you're getting that throwback with a with current talent feel to it. And, and it's just, it's amazing, you know, so where you see all these promotions that were doing something different, something to bring their hardcore fan base. Um, I think what's really awesome about today's era um, is the fact that we actually have true alternatives now, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where at one yeah. point, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you have the Monday Night Wars in our time where it was WWF, it was WCW. Okay, you're two meccas. We didn't know about yeah. the independent scene. You know, we didn't know, oh, there's an independent underground wrestling beyond these two. We just knew mm -hmm. these as the two promotions on television that we could watch every single week. Cool. Then it was a matter of, well, which one of these two do I want to watch? <laughs> Who do I like better, right? Um, you know, or you were probably a fan like me. You were like, I want to support both of them. So I'm just going to go back and forth yeah. from time to time, right? I'm going to do that. I did that, yeah. Yeah, you know, why, why, why not? And then we lose WCW just like that. Yeah. And next thing you know, all we have is the WWF. And I do remember as a kid from time to time, there were like, indie promotions that would come on like really 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 late at night where it was mm -hmm. like hey this is wrestling but this isn't wwe what is yeah. this you know uh like wow women of wrestling you know mm -hmm. uh i remember that from back in the day where it was like oh you know and i saw that they made their comeback as well and they brought that back um from a time when it had a hiatus and then they ended up bringing that back down the line but it was just so many different things i came across because i always thought wow women of wrestling was interesting to me as a kid because i was like well this is like literally all women i was like there's not a single guy yeah. in here i was like this is this is interesting and i i was invested in that because i was yeah. like i had never seen the women wrestle like that before like wwe did it but it was kind of like gimmicky it was it was the you know the yeah. sex appeal effect you know oh um, yeah they, they didn't really get serious about it until you know so like yeah, five trish years and, ago yeah yeah you know i mean yeah, you had you had your you, you, you know your trish and leaders and molly hollies and mm -hmm. you know there were like women from the attitude era that definitely tried their best to give you wrestling matches yes. um, with what they had but even yes. then they still had to add sex appeal to it for the most part but like wow mm -hmm. women in wrestling was one of those things where yeah i was like whoa this is like legit women that are beautiful but they're actually wrestling like yeah yeah i mean they also really took the element of your character because everything was very yes. you know gimmicky but i think that helped in yes. you know getting invested in people because you had characters you yes. know they were very clear cut on who they were and yeah. you know i that i definitely appreciate because to me, it's one thing to, you know, go out into the ring and, and wrestle great, but how do you connect with fans by your personality, by what yes. you display? Yes. And uh, they always did such a fun job of that, too. I think they also leaned into the fact that we knew it was predetermined and we knew this wasn't, you know, necessarily uh, like any other sport, but 
because of that, you could have fun with it. And I think, wow, really was something that was super fun to watch. It really was. And, um, and again, I was just so happy to see it, um, make its return us a Mm -hmm. few years back when it, when they brought it back, I was like, yes. Okay. I do remember that show. That's a show I remember. Um, so as a fan though, let me, let me ask you for sure. Uh, what is it like being a woman fan and wrestling you know uh especially what was that like uh for you growing up like were you that that person did you have other uh fellow uh lady friends or guy or were you with the guys if you know you knew they were wrestling fans too and you were just like the the one girl in the crew that she's a wrestling fan too she knows her stuff like what was it like for you as a woman uh being a wrestling fan yeah. Um, so growing up, there were no other girls that I knew who liked wrestling. So I was in a very small group mm-hmm. of guy friends. And at this time, too, like at this age, I was a pretty big tomboy, like all mm-hmm. over. I dressed like a boy. I hung out with boys. So that was something that was, you know, pretty normal for me. As I grew up and I, you know, had more friends and I stopped watching wrestling, it definitely didn't impact my circle of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until later on in life where I definitely saw a pretty big kind of schism in my worlds with that because to this day I don't have any like personal friends of mine who are wrestling fans um and for my girlfriends when I talk to them about it about what I do they're still just fascinated like you do what and you go where and like they just just telling them a little bit about the wrestling world and even just what I watch on a weekly basis is still mind-blowing for them to be like how do you do this? Why do you do this? Um, but it has been awesome. And I and I contribute this to podcasting, yeah. being able to see a lot more women podcasting and doing their thing. Like I love seeing all these different women from different parts of the United States and walks of life, being able to get onto a microphone and talk about wrestling, talk about what they like and what they don't and having a voice and it makes me feel connected in ways that I don't because I still don't have female friends that are wrestling fans whenever I you know listen to a podcast um, or a video clip I feel like you know uh, they could be my friend and I know this is kind of strange and kind of creepy but it's like you know it feels like I I'm just sitting and listening to a conversation of friends yeah. uh, talking about podcasting. So, you know, so for me, seeing the growth and the amount of female podcasters out there, mm-hmm. that is the best thing. And that truly makes me feel very connected. I also love the opportunity when I get to work with, you know, other women, especially women's wrestlers, mm-hmm. um, in the ring and just like being able to announce for them and having those female shows uh i have announced for future stars of wrestling uh based out of las vegas and they uh will do these kind of um quarterly shows for future stars of women's wrestling that just focus on the women and those are some of my favorite shows because they bring in talent from all over but the you know it's just a focus on the women and you know it's a different vibe it's a different openness it's just this you know uh, ability to want to help each other and commit to like everyone doing their part and then I just want to make sure I announce and do everyone their justice and like 
make sure that they are getting the best entrance possible because they deserve that. And so um, I think that just being able to also see what women go through in the wrestling world, whether you're a wrestler or a commentator or referee, you know, it can be a challenge. It's a challenge to be taken seriously um, because of the fact that the bar is always going to look different for women, you know, and they're going to be measured differently. They're going to be viewed differently. Um, And even in all the great strides and opportunities that have come up, it's always going to be different. Um, And so being able to kind of embrace that and make it your own and have the best time that you can have with it. But it definitely, when I announce a women's match or especially a women's show, I really make it my best to like put in all my effort just to make sure I give them that justice of, of their entrance um, because I want it to be that much more special for everyone. I love it. I love it. That is, that is awesome. I, and, and that's the perfect um, transition with um, the basis of what I wanted to chat with you about is uh, you are a ring announcer. And of course uh, with that comes a lot of responsibility. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. what was that like for you transitioning into that world like talk talk to people who you know may feel like you know everything always seems easy off site right when you see it you're like oh I could do that right I could I could be a referee in a ring I could be an, a ring announcer that's something I could do like I probably can't do sometimes people even think they could be a wrestler off top just watching but yeah. <laughs> we've, we've had we've had shows like tough enough thank goodness and, yes. and different things that have shown you know there's still some people that that still for whatever reason feel they could do it until you're like oh okay go in there yeah, if you want to. yeah, yeah. Run, run the ropes be my guest yeah you think that's easy okay go ahead but talk, talk to the people about the life of a ring announcer like mm-hmm. how much preparation really goes into being that well, I know my, my preparation, you know, varies, but also is definitely a, a little different. I know that the best ring announcers are the ones that prepare. Um, and there's so many that I, I admired, but um, going back to kind of how the, the transition started is that I was a backstage interviewer with Destiny Wrestling. And then they said, we'd like to have you start coming up front and announcing matches. So I tag teamed uh, some um, announcing with uh, one of my mentors, Adam Merrick, who was the primary ring announcer. He was also though serving in an authoritary role, uh, authoritative role within DWO too. So they also wanted to kind of create a little bit more of a line too, where his role was a little bit more, you know, managerial or, or just more of, uh, uh, administrative uh, mm-hmm. and and have me do some of those matches uh, just general matches so at first that to me though was one of the best ways I could have transitioned because I wasn't just thrown into a whole show by myself I was able to observe and talk with Adam and get a sense of you know what to do um, and for me it was just a lot of observing a lot of listening and you know getting that feedback from people um there's a big thing as far as preparation where some people are you a cards person or are you not a cards person i originally was not a card person but that's only because i announced maybe three or four matches out of a whole show mm-hmm. um and then after a while when i started to announce more i was announcing full shows i became a card person uh and i got older and I needed to, but, you know, prepping your <laughs> cards, 
um, you know, having, uh, you know, what, what you, you know, of course, what want to wear, but also trying to get an understanding of what your show is, you know, getting a, a vibe, especially if this is maybe your first time announcing for a particular promotion, understanding who they are. I try and, and match myself to what the vibe and the environment of that promotion is, mm-hmm. whether it's how I sound, what I dress like, you know, my, my notes and things like that. Yeah. Um, those are things that I, I like to do because I, at the end of the day, you know, even historically, the ring announcer is the face of the show. Um, a lot of times the promoters used to be the ring announcers or bookers used to be ring announcers. Um, so a lot of times that was the face of the company was the ring announcer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a historical context, but you know, people would come up to me asking me questions about the show or certain things about merchandising and, and other things that I wouldn't necessarily know about, but as the, the face, the person in the middle of the ring telling you what's happening, mm-hmm that's an assumption that I, I'd have to take on. So even understanding the details about the events of merchandising, who's there, what are the big names on the card? What do you want to have emphasized? Really having the communication with the promotion as well mm-hmm. to, you know, what I try and do is, you know, be very flexible about my approach and say, how do you, you know, what are some of the big things you want to make sure I hit on tonight? What are some of the, you know, big names and, and mentions of sponsors, all of that, yeah. um, you know, those are important for promotions uh, to convey and, and the ring announcer does all of that. Um, and then there's the voice part, which was something is something I still work on and, and I wouldn't say struggle with, but it's also evolving the way that I sound now is very different than you know what I sounded in the beginning and that was listening to people that I admired you know growing up I did listen a lot to you know Howard Finkel and then I sounded a, a bit like him until someone pointed that out and they said you know what change your direction a little bit and and go a little bit richer um and of course growing up you know listening to to Lillian Garcia she was the reason why I could even think of myself as a ring announcer because of her but then when I got to look a little bit more like at Lucha Underground Melissa Santos became what I wanted to be you know the look the sound the mystery the beauty like Yes. That is the ideal, but even seeing like Shao Guerrero, who did it for a while and, mm-hmm. and for other promotions, you know, she had a little yes. bit too of a grittiness, a little punk rock to her yeah. that I loved. Um, even Christy Hemi in Impact, uh, you know, I yes. love the way that she smiles, her facial expressions. I'm not the best. Mm-hmm. I like bright facial expressions. I'm a little <laughs> bit more serious tone, mm-hmm. but I love watching her facial expression. So looking yeah. at people in little different ways, of course, you know, the Buffer Brothers, I mean, the grandness, that's something I kind of took over for my main event announcements, trying to be bigger and larger in my sound mm-hmm. for main event announcements. And it's picking those things. And, and I think that was what I learned too, is picking. I don't have to be exactly like anybody. Mm-hmm. But if there's things that I like from people, let me pick from that and try that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that I, I, I briefly have met Justin Roberts a few times. Yes. Um, and the very first time I met him, I asked, you know, how did you figure out your sound? And he said, watch yourself, watch yourself, watch yourself. You have to be able to listen to yourself and see what you like and see what you don't, mm-hmm. you know, and create your own. He's like, you don't have to be anybody else except yourself. 
um, and AJ Kirsch, um, who's rings announce and, and has done commentary. He also had some great points about, you know, picking when to interact with the crowd. You don't want to drain the crowd of the energy that they need to devote to the match. Pick and choose your moments. So I think, too, being able to get those little pieces of information from people, mm-hmm. sum up, you know, what, what, what my sound is and what I'm trying to do. And even in how I prepare those yeah. things, you know, practicing introductions, um, you know, always constantly just trying to keep a, a warm voice about it. So it's a lot, you know, everyone it does it differently. Everyone does it differently. But it. to me, it's all the little components that you have to do when you're in that ring yeah. that ends up taking the time and in, in preparation. Man, I'm telling you, you see that that right there says so much. I see this is why I love this platform. This is why I love this show because being able to talk to people who do different things. I've had a chance on the show to interview with the referee before to explain to the people what it's like being in the ring as a ref. And and to speak with someone who does ring announcing and backstage interviewing, because we will get mm-hmm. to that in a second as well. Yeah. Uh, but that ring announcing aspect, man, it's just, there's so much um, epic to that, you know, where, um, you know, e- even, even my guy uh, in the boxing world that, that we know the, 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 you know, uh, you know, <clears throat> let's get ready to rumble, you know, like, you know, even when you, when you hear just some of these iconic voices, you know, you always think of something so epic as you mentioned, I, I never really quite thought about that in terms of ring announcers being the face of it like that, because mm-hmm. it's crazy, really, because I think about when I'm at these events, you know what, you're right. You know, that ring announcer sets the tone of yes. how the show is going to go. You know, yes. like, I know we talk about the fans. Yeah, of course, the fans got the energy. They We know they're going to bring the energy because they're hyped to be at the show. That ring announcer is the one that control like controls exactly. The crowd, you know, um, yeah, they can they set the tone for the entire event. They can set the tone for the upcoming match. They yeah. can direct attention away when maybe something is is you, you gotta stretch your time a bit, you know. And yeah. so there definitely can feel like a lot of pressure of wanting to do good because you want to you know, do good for the promotion, for the wrestlers, you know, mm-hmm. when the wrestlers come out, like they can get hype off of your introduction. And I've yeah. had several wrestlers reach out like, man, when I, when you announce me, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it gets me hype or finding the right time too, looking at them and their movements and trying mm-hmm. to time up their, you know, cause sometimes that, that happens again, every promotion's different, but mm-hmm. when I can draw out an introduction to kind of hit a certain pose or a movement mm-hmm. that, and that's Something someone taught me about you know hey if you get the chance time up your introduction to the pose so that when they do their pose you're finishing up the introduction mm-hmm. and i you know depending on some promoters or some promotions may say go ahead and introduce them then they'll come out or in you know whatever it is but i also think there is a lot of flexibility that has to be involved so mm-hmm. that way you can match what you know where you're at but you also have to think on the fly sometimes things may not you know, go right, or you may have a flub and you just got to get over it and move on to the next thing. So they, you know, it involves a lot of flexibility, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. They can set the tone for the night, for the match, for what's happening. And so I always just want to do my best to do it justice because every promotion deserves that. 
Yes, it, it really, really does. And um, I love it, man. I just, you know, and 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 I it was crazy because you mentioned a lot of dope names uh in the ring announcing world that I was gonna ask you about. I was gonna be like, mm-hmm. who 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 were your inspirations? You know, who yes. were, you know, you know, I, I might ask you a little later to give me a top five there if you can. Yes. It, it may be tough. I don't know, but I may ask tough. you about yes. that. I may ask you to give me a top five on that. But nonetheless, um Let's let's segue real quick to life of a backstage interviewer. You know, I mm-hmm. kind of did this a little backwards because usually, as you mentioned, I have noticed where a lot of ring announcers do start off in the backstage mm-hmm. interview style. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, we see that they make their way, you know, obviously to the ring. So I would ask you, like, of the two, which do you say you enjoy the most Gosh. between the two? That's hard because I would say that I, I feel a little bit more organic or natural as a backstage interviewer. And that's just because I'm a natural talker. I like to ask questions. I, you know, very inquisitive. I like to be a foil for people. And that's kind of how I see, you know, role, my role as an interviewer is, you know, I'm here to help convey a point, a message a story and you know how do I do that with this person so what can I ask how can I portray myself what can I what can my nonverbal cues or verbal cues be in order to help portray that to help uh, connect the, the dots for people and so for me it takes you know a different line of thinking but I would say that it comes a little bit more natural to me to do interviewing um and that i would say ring announcing has been harder to pick up and harder to learn and harder to kind of feel a groove in um because a lot of it is a little bit more dictated by you know here's your structure it's a bit more structured i think in ring announcing and then you really have to utilize your voice to help convey and of course you can play around with your words and things like that Mm-hmm. Um, whereas interviewing, there's a lot more liberties that you can take and you can be a more creative and you can think a little bit more outside of the box. Yeah. And I think it could be a lot funner and it gives you that one-on-one with, you know, a wrestler or a team or a group yeah. um, and you can have a little bit more personality. So I would say that I, it comes a little bit more naturally to me, mm-hmm. um, but I don't get to do it as much either because of the fact that not all promotions utilize interviewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd say that that I have a lot more, uh, you know, notches under my belt and ring announcing at this point. Mm-hmm. But if I could do more interviewing, um, backstage interviewing or on stage interviewing, I would love that as well, that. just because it's, you know, a, a very, it's a different role, but I think one that's more creative and one that you can, you know, have a little bit more fun with mm-hmm. and you are helping telling a larger story as an yeah. interviewer too. Yeah, and 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 I, and I had to ask that question because what really made me just think about it uh, as I was asking, you know, asking you that question and you were answering, I realized that there were a lot of personalities that did backstage interviewing that never really ended up doing ring announcing, such mm-hmm. as a 
Mean Gene Okerlund, for example. Yeah, I mean, um, Mean Gene, yeah, his role was always very specific as an interviewer, but yeah. I mean, he's legendary in the fact that, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've been watching a lot more like a late 90, well, mid to late 90s WCW, so like 96 WCW, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and they really incorporated Mean Gene in multiple points of the show, mm -hmm. and he was always straight to the point. He was, you know, able to cut through uh, you know the bs a little bit he was yeah. able to help connect the dots he was able to help set up you know the right lines and the right timing mm -hmm. and i think he's still the the best at it you know when i really look at interviewers to me he was the best at doing that yes i totally agree and you know renee young was another that yes. came to my mind because uh she was arguably one of the most talented personalities uh within the wwe in terms of being able to do we, we saw her um become the first female commentator on raw of course and being able to do that on a regular basis but you know one of those that didn't really have to do the ring announcing person no she, literally she, could just... she really didn't i love her interviews her yeah. lengthier interviews is where i think she was able to display some of the smartest thinking and mm -hmm. delivery. I mm -hmm. think whereas Mean Gene was really good at the very quick questions, you know, here's your your question, your little interview right before a match. I really liked her. I really liked Renee's lengthier yeah. interviews and yeah. ones that, and, and because I feel like she did such a great job of being able to ask the right questions in mm -hmm. a way that seems not just not even just professional but very smart mm -hmm. you felt like you were watching like 2020 you know <laughs> you were watching like something that for a wrestling you didn't really expect and i think yeah. that too uh, her role and her experience in broadcasting and podcasting like i feel like the way that she puts together an interview is what the really one of the best if not the best and and just one of my personal favorites in wrestling I love it, man. I love it. That is that is awesome. So, you know, now that we we really get the base of what it takes and 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 what what's the type of advice that just off of the experience you have so far um, to that person out there that is, let's say, an up and coming wrestling fan or someone that's just getting into this, you know, a little bit or maybe they've been into wrestling, they've been a hardcore fan, but they want to try to get into the business maybe they know like okay i'm not fit to actually wrestle in the ring but i know i can offer this um what would you say to somebody that wants to be a backstage interviewer like a renee young or a mean gene or a miranda morales uh you know uh what would you say to that individual that wants to be that ring announcer that's out there and like, man, listen, I got a swag like no other. I'll come out there looking good and fly, being able to just give you the best, best introduction you could ever have. Like, what do you say yeah. to 1A and 1B as far as what they want to do and how they can start getting into the business? Yeah. Well, I know, like I said, my story started by just getting connected with a local independent wrestling promotion. And so that would be something that, you know, I would recommend is if you have one nearby, you know, reaching out to them and letting them know that you are interested in, in a role with them. 
Um, sometimes you, sometimes they're in need of that role and sometimes they're not. So you have kind of two different scenarios too that you can come up across where mm -hmm. one, they're going to be very open and say, hey, sure, come on by to our next show um, or maybe come by while we're doing training. Mm -hmm. um, I know I had, I had a little mini interview with one of the promoters even prior to being on board so that they could know me a little bit more. Yeah. And so I feel like any opportunity to like have a sit down conversation with a promotion or a team, you know, someone within mm -hmm. the wrestling world to talk a little bit more about yourself and your background. One, humanizes the whole experience, but two, you know, those, especially in the business who can pick up on something unique about someone's background, um, that could be that trigger for them that says you would be great in this role or you would be great in this role. And sometimes it's the role that you're thinking of. And sometimes it's not the role that you're thinking of too. So <laughs> I think being open to, you know, things I've seen so many people who started off as ring crew, as sound, as, you know, just set up and who have evolved into, referees and wrestlers you know because they started off at there and I think that is a, a whole part of the wrestling experiences a lot of people will start off in kind of a more basic role but that's also one so you could see the in and outs and understand the larger scale of what wrestling is and what it can be and then when you have that opportunity to jump in and do something, you know, a lot of times it's just the right opportunity, the right time, being at the perfect yes. place at the perfect time. Yeah. Um, but also thinking about, you know, practicing, if you find wrestlers or even your friends to practice the interviews with, I've done that just on the spot. Like mm -hmm. when I'm talking with people, I'll like set up a, an interview and just start asking questions as an interviewer. It's for more for fun, but I think that too, if you are learning or trying to get into that, the more practice you have and what I call a rep, the more reps you have, mm -hmm. the better. And then also studying people that you admire. And, and for me personally, it's not about trying to act exactly like them, but looking at the things that they do. And like, just as if it's, you're a football player studying tape or, you know, you're an actor studying film. Yeah. If you want to be, you know, an interviewer or a ring announcer, studying people that you admire, maybe starting off with, you know, places or timeframes that you grew up in, but also getting out of your comfort zone and maybe watching someone in a promotion that you haven't watched so much or in a time frame or an era that you're not so used to, to yeah. kind of just see differences with people because it is very different, you know, the ring announcing from the 70s and 80s and even early 90s is very direct very straightforward you know mm -hmm. talking about like mid-south like yeah. you know like like very much is is just straightforward this is who's in the ring but they were clear they were mm -hmm. concise you know and people could hear them and that's also another element that i'm also i also struggle with is when you play around with your voice too much mm -hmm. you can lose you know the the clarity of what you're trying to say so I think, too, just trying to figure out who you want to be. I think now as announcing, it's a lot more, you know, larger than life, but it, it helps you find your voice. And same thing with interviewing, you know, finding your tone. Uh, you know, I think conciseness is important with in constructing interview questions and, you know, you don't want to be too dragged out, but you also want to get to a point where, you know, you're, you're roping people in with the right set of, um, of um words and so yeah definitely working with independent promotions is great and if there isn't anyone near you you know you're trying to find you know if it's what 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 
what lengths are you willing to go? Are you willing to travel to work with a promotion? Are you willing to, you know, maybe do something a little different where you do, instead of backstage interviewing, decide to do a podcast because you don't have any promotions near you, Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe approach a promotion and say, hey, I wouldn't mind doing, uh, you know, virtual interviews. And that way you could post to social, you know, whatever it may be. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that too, I think that's another big thing with social media now is that interviews are no longer just what you see in you know filmed backstage or in a ring you know social media has played a huge part in having interviews done you know mlw does has done that with alicia too like that's a big element of what they've done in between when they're not airing episodes of fusion Mm -hmm. is she's you know set the stage for interviews that then go into storyline virtually Mm -hmm. um and i think that helps you know bridge that gap so there's a lot of opportunities and ways for people to get involved but i think it's you know trying to to, you have to be outgoing you have to go out there and fight for it and find it Mm -hmm. Because it may not always find you. Um, and then, you know, be ready to sell yourself. What do you bring to the table? And, you know, what are you able to commit? Because it may be long hours and not a lot of pay if you do get paid at, at first, you know. But you also have to figure out, you know, at what point, what are you also willing to sacrifice and what, you know, what is worth it, worth it to you, you yeah. know, because I do also believe people should be paid for their time and their value, you know, yeah. and especially if you're more of a multi-talented person, like not just on the mic, but if you can produce stuff, if you can do AV, if you can do sound, you know, yeah. those are all things too, that as will help whether you do podcasting or working with a promotion. So I think too, the more you learn about different roles, the more of a utility player you can be. But yeah. those are just kind of some insights and some tips for anyone who's looking to get into those roles. Man, I love it. That was so amazing. Miranda, you are such an awesome and phenomenal individual um and thank thank you you just so much for your time with us because you've really given a lot of insight not just to myself you know the host but you've given insight to my casual listeners out there to my hardcore there you listeners go. Out yes there, you know? we try try and give the whole array yeah. of yeah, people you, who may be listening we give, we give it we're giving it for you all you know what i'm saying because again i got people out there who listen to me man they supporting just me the person behind the mic and they may yes. not get wrestling the way i do but they still listen because they intrigued by well yours truly in this personality that of course but also they're supporting just to be like man let me see what it is that this guy really likes to have to make this a show. And now Mm -hmm. you're getting led into my world, ladies and gentlemen, you're getting understanding right here on the Life's a Botch podcast, where I let you guys know it's not about how you botch. It's not about the fact that you botch. It's what you did with your botch and how you make it work in life, ladies and gentlemen. So I got to do a quick little segment with you. That's going to be real fun. Okay. It's a quick little segment that I call babyface or heel okay Ooh. ladies and gentlemen this is sponsored by the following show on stars you can catch it on stars every sunday ladies and gentlemen none other than heels you know Ooh, sponsors this very yes. segment actually i'm just dang 
Hey, I'm just I was going to say, you know, hey, hey, you put it out into the universe. This is a universe. good, but this is a good, I, if I feel like I know where you're going, this yeah. is actually a good game that ties into the show. Yeah. That's some smart thinking. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hey, this is something that your boy did first, you know, so y'all know where I got it from, but, uh, you know, heels, if you're listening, producers of heels, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Come sponsor your boy on the podcast. Come and, and, find always, you know, come and get him. Come yes. get me. You know, we can do, we can do this. So you guys personally are the sponsors of this here segment, but Babyface or Heel is basically a quick little fun show that I do for the fans with a guest where basically the scenario is exactly the way it sounds. You know, I, I just bring some stuff out, throw it out to you and you choose if you're going to go Babyface on the scenario oh. or if you're going to go heel with it, you know, the this will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so we just since it's been such a crazy wrestling week, a wrestling month for that yes. matter. Uh, heck, a wrestling year. We're not even really done with 2021 yet. I'm gonna just go ahead and throw some stuff out, and I just you know feel free to go babyface on it or heal, whichever you choose. All right, you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, okay. So let's start with something very recent, ladies and gentlemen. We witnessed history on Monday night. Ladies and gentlemen, when we saw none other than Big E become the WWE champion for the first time in his career, defeating another first-time WWE champion and Bobby Lashley. So are you going babyface or heel on the timing of this segment? Oh, <sighs> the timing i think that's that's an opportune word you know it's hard to to not feel good about the entire thing mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go baby face like there's it's just at the end of the day it doesn't as much as there could be so much critiques about oh they should have waited longer they could have done this you didn't have mm -hmm. to plan it out yeah. the moment that it happened was worth it and that's at the end of the day what i think everybody remembers and that's what makes everyone feel good about it is that it happened people were happy people were joyous uh and so it's hard to to not feel anything but baby face for the win and everything about it yes i love it i love it okay okay i see where you're going there okay we're gonna keep this dollar rolling we're gonna see what happens uh all right so Let's uh, backtrack to one of arguably, actually, no, you know what? I'm gonna, let's just put this pay-per-view out. I'm just gonna say this whole pay-per-view okay. right now. I was gonna just do one match, but you know what? I'll do the whole pay-per-view. Ladies and gentlemen, AEW All Out, baby oh, wow. face or heel, is this or was this the greatest wrestling pay-per-view of all time? <gasps> wrestling, best wrestling pay-per-view of all time, you know what? Gotcha. I'm gonna have to go heel on this Ooh. just because I, I know this is controversial. <laughs> this is controversial. Yes, Best of all time. No, I, I it's hard to do that just because there's others in historical sense that you look at, like your WrestleMania threes, like your batch of bash of the beach 96, mm -hmm. you know, like your WrestleMania 30s that you look at at a historical context and you're thinking, man. That was the best. Now, what I say is it definitely the best within, you know, this this decade, you know, definitely up there. But of all time, I cannot with my pure heart say that at this time. Maybe in 10 years, we'll look back at it and see, you know, how much did All Out have an impact on the wrestling world as we know it. But 
knowing, you know, wrestling now and all these other events that have had just really a transcending effect on wrestling, I can't say yes. best pay-per-view of all time. Mm. See, I love it. I love it. See, that's what you gave me my first one of the day. That's what I love it. See, I love yes. when they switch up on me and it's not always babyface. You did it. Oh, Miranda. no, you no. It. I, I you know, I, I can only say the truth. That keeping, is that is yes. my fatal flaw. Yes, keeping true to the gimmick, ladies and gentlemen. That's what you got to do. You got to keep true to the gimmick. Which one we going to go with? So, okay, I'm going to go with this one for you. This is a very interesting one. Uh, baby face or heel on Becky Lynch becoming the SmackDown Women's Champion. Ooh, gosh. Mm. You know, this was hard because at the beginning I would have leaned one way, but mm-hmm. now I'm kind of leaning the other way. So at the be- mm-hmm. beginning, mm-hmm. I would have leaned towards heel because I wasn't a fan of you know her winning at SummerSlam like that I felt like they could have done a better job building up Mm -hmm. I felt like all you needed was the appearance you definitely did not to have the title win Mm -hmm. at SummerSlam but as you know just over the past few weeks I'm leaning more towards babyface because man is she coming out as this good heel and I think a perfect foil for Bianca Belair because if she doesn't have Sasha Banks around if she doesn't have Bailey around you know granted there's there are other women on the smackdown women's roster that you definitely need to put up there like selena vega carmella need their airtime. period mm-hmm. you know and and they could be great feuds however you know there is money in the chase figuratively you know as far as bianca belair it is their you know one of their top baby faces in the entire company especially on smackdown so how do you keep this storyline interesting by throwing in you know one of the the baddest women in all of, of pro wrestling so i'm now leaning more towards babyface only because i'm starting to get it i get it wwe i could see the long-term storytelling in this and i and i'm not completely mad at you anymore <laughs> i get it okay i respect that i, I like you know that was the tweener answer right there a little that bit. was so the tweener answer yes gave me the there tweener was a, answer. there well there was a progression just like in wrestling when anything gives you emotions you go through these this emotional process <laughs> with it and sometimes wrestling gives me emotions where i have to process my feelings and sit in it for a second and then be okay with it be okay with it yeah you, you know it's it's one of those things you know and and, and i usually allow a tweener uh answer okay. from time to time so did i use so my one tweener answer for this you did you did you used okay. the tweener answer really well okay so i'll give you that i'll give you that now here's a baby face or heel question that i really have to let out to you i got to know how you feel about this one ladies and gentlemen baby face or heel on brian danielson and brock lesnar both rocking the ponytail and beard viking like look mm-hmm. uh i'm gonna go baby face on that i mean <laughs> style style and i can't mm. help that these both of these men have decided to rock you know uh such a, a strong look 
they're doing them, you know, they're making it cool again. And if that's, especially when you put Brock Lesnar and uh, Brian Danielson in the same sentence like that, you usually don't have them in the same sentence anymore. Yeah. So the fact that they're still rocking their own thing, hey, I, I can appreciate fashion in whatever form it comes in. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I don't care. I'll <laughs> dig it. I, I, don't, I don't care what the consensus is. If you don't like it, that's not my problem. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. So, all right then. So, okay, well, I'm going to definitely do this one because I've heard a lot of stuff in the streets. Okay. So we're going to do this one. I'm just going to okay. ask, Sorry. are you going baby face or heel on the Hardy family faction in AEW? Ooh. Baby face or heel. You know what? <laughs> I feel this is a tough one <laughs> because I have an appreciation for this. this is not a tweener answer. I'm just saying mm -hmm. why it's a hard one. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go heel on this one. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're getting lost in the sauce. I feel like the family, the fact that they've expanded to the family when it was just you know a business group to begin with is to me, maybe they're losing a little bit of the meaning behind it. Maybe too much is too much. And you got to home back into, you know, maybe a selective few. So I'm going to go heel on, on it now, you know, just, just because I, I definitely, for me, factions are important. Like I, I grew up watching factions and, you know, I think sometimes less is more when you have too many members, you become the corporate ministry and then you don't know what you're doing anymore. And Ooh, so the corporate know, ministry, the corporate ministry, wow, granted that... they were only, that's a throw. Yes. Do they, do they hold the record for the largest faction in wrestling? history? I, I, I was going to say probably not the NWO had some, oh, and then yeah, you know what? That the was... NWO had like two limos full of people. Jesus and then essentially, Christ. if you want to go through all of the Bullet Club, you know, iterations, because I feel like that yeah. at this point, the Bullet Club takes it because there's only so many subsets of the Bullet Club. So like the this pure Bullet Club, no, but like the subsets of the Bullet Club. Yes, that is true. Bullet Club does have a. Yeah, you know, there are some factions that can kind of rival corporate ministry now that I think about it. It mm -hmm. just seems so deep. Uh, yes, that, but know. also you just start to have so many people and you don't know what they're doing this all for. And I feel like you lose a little bit of the meaning of a, of a faction of a group. Yeah, I totally agree. That's that's a good that's a good answer. I'm glad you didn't go tweener with that one. That's a good answer. I was expecting you to go that route. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I I, I, again, like I I totally you know these are just you know my thoughts. I understand if you know there's someone could convince me another way. You know if they come up with a pretty good explanation. But from what I see and just that evolution, like me, I don't know. And I but I feel that way for a lot of things in AEW actually like yeah. once a faction either grows or you just don't really know what their purpose is, mm -hmm. I get very disconnected from them and I don't know what their I just don't know what their purpose is anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So like right now Team Taz like they're super still fairly disjointed uh even though they lost brian cage and, and ricky starks is still around but i still don't you know and especially someone led by taz like you would think they'd have a defined purpose i don't really know what their purpose is right now other than to you know fight cm punk like i just i feel like they deserve much better they know they could do so much better we shall see we the cm punk is the test of time of how things turn out for team task going forth but uh, so far, okay, my final scenario for you, 
in this uh, segment would be one of probably the best for last, actually, in a way. I'm going to say NXT 2.0. After seeing what it finally looks like after weeks and weeks of buildup, you going babyface or you going heel with what you've seen so far Mm. within one week of the new direction of NXT 2.0? Uh, I'm going to go baby face. I'm not mad at it. I am not mad at the new NXT 2.0. I, I can't, I mean, the changes are pretty big with the new venue, new logo, new color scheme, mm-hmm. you know, new focus on talent. Um, and it's a little bit of a mix of, you know, going into the future, but also reflecting on the past as being a true, you know, quote unquote developmental. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't, be mad at it because I feel like they're incorporating some really unique elements uh, as far as, you know, the promos at the beginning of this week um, in preparation for the main event of that uh, four-way for the NXT championship. Um, There's a lot more, you know, character development in there, which definitely reminds me of like NXT of old, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, when you had you know, trios and factions and, and people developing who their characters are. I think the big difference is that some of these people are people that we're familiar with, like a Frankie Monet, who, you know, we've seen all over. We know who she is if you know her, but there are a good, you know, portion of the audience who still doesn't know Frankie Monet, but the character she is now is very much in align with, you know, who she's been for quite some time. So I do understand that NXT is built for a different audience. Um, but I, I do love this focus of bringing truly developing new talent. And I think it's a big shift for people who at one point, you know, NXT was really bringing in those indie darlings. You know, when you had a takeover and you saw, you know, one of those bigger independent stars in the crowd there, you knew they were going to be next. But now that WWE is aligning their focus on really homegrown talent from you know the very beginning you know that's that's their choice that's their prerogative and to have nxt line up with that makes complete sense so i think the presentation is still good i think the potential for good matches is still good you know i i am cautiously optimistic about nxt 2.0 but i'm not mad at this so Mm -hmm. i think it's baby face all right you heard it here ladies and gentlemen that wraps it up for that segment that you know you love i know you love it that's why i bring it to y'all man babyface or heel sponsored by heels <clears throat> quote unquote yeah ladies quote and unquote. stars hit me up you already know where to yes. find me uh <laughs> that being said miss miranda morales um to the people listening out there and of course watching when they see this on the youtube Tell the people where they can find you, follow you, keep up with you. And also, you know, this is your t- the chance to promote what you got going on. Yes, you know? yeah. Oh, there's there's a lot. So I'm going to try and just do this as, uh, as smooth as possible. But uh, as with podcasting, you can find me on three different amazing sites. Of course, uh, my first home is thechairshot.com, uh, which is your source for wrestling news, analysis, opinions, sports, entertainment, and sports 
entertainment. So uh, I am on two podcasts there, the Baby Face Heal podcast and the Hashtag Miranda Show. Those drop each and every week on thecheershot.com. I am also featured at luchacentral.com with the Lucha Central weekly podcast. Um, Lucha Central is your centralized place for all things Lucha Libre. So we discuss everything happening in the world of Lucha Libre, both in the United States and in Mexico each and every week. That drops about every Friday to Saturday on luchacentral.com. And I work with Big Gold Belt Media on the Impact uh, Wrestling Review, where we discuss the hot topics happening in Impact Wrestling when they your chambers. Um, and that's at biggoldbelt.com. Um, and those happen pretty frequently um, on Fridays as well. And then as far as my social media, well, you can find me at the hashtag Miranda, hashtag spelled out on Instagram and Facebook. I am not on Twitter and that is on purpose. I am not on Twitter. I have seen Twitter. It is not for me, but you can find me at the hashtag Miranda on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook in particular highlights a lot of the promotions that I work with out here in Arizona, Nevada, and in California, and also hopefully more to come in the future. Um, So go ahead and follow me on social media, check out those websites, and more than happy would love to have you come out to uh, one of the shows out here on the West Coast. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was actually just out in the West Coast not too long ago. Um, I was there in Las Vegas a few weeks ago. Uh, just just enjoying the festivities and everything uh you know just a little getaway for a while and um definitely gonna have to come out i know arizona i have family out that way i i definitely have to make my way to the west coast again pretty soon uh so i know for sure i will be connecting with you i will be connecting with some shows uh going on in the area when i get out that way for sure uh so ladies and gentlemen you already know follow miss miranda morales trust me when i say these are you know um how did how did my boy ja rule and fat joe said what did they say yesterday's hits uh today's price is not tomorrow's price something like that something along those lines tomorrow's <laughs> right you know yeah something along those lines so mm-hmm. all i'm gonna say is today's stars are tomorrow's stars okay so just know the person you see on this screen, no, right here, right now, you could be seeing them anywhere in the future on the bright lights. You know what I mean? So you never know. Just know where you found her right here on the Life's of Botch podcast. If this is your first time yes, getting introduced to Miss Morales, just know you heard her here first on the Life's of Botch podcast, baby, where it's not about how you botched. It's not about why you botch. It's the fact that you botch. So I just want to say, you already know where to find your boy, the Life's a Botch podcast on Instagram, working on getting a TikTok for Life's a Botch podcast. So y'all stay tuned. I'll let y'all know when that's official with some dope videos coming your way. And of course, we're working on a dope YouTube show sponsored. I can't quite tell y'all that yet. You know, it's still in the works, but it's a dope YouTube show that's going to be coming for the Life's a Botch podcast. But you can follow all things OTS right here where the Life's a Botch podcast is being uplifted through the brand that uplifts the brand in the OTS brand, man, store. You can find so many other dope shows. Uh, if you're into music, if you're into sports, if you're into fashion, so many gaming, just so many different things. You can find those and more at OTS 
www.otsguys.com. www.otsguys.com. Your boy has some wrestling articles on there. You know, I wrote a nice article about the nice. AEW All Out. You can check that out on the article section of the otsguys.com website. More articles coming from yours truly in the future as well. But nonetheless, man, follow the YouTube, subscribe, OTS Guys on YouTube and all things OTS. We thank you guys so much for joining us. And of course, as we like to say, ladies and gentlemen, too sweet. Peace.